Hello. If you're hearing my voice right now, then you have stumbled onto the podcast where real stories of professional criminal profilers are told by professional assholes. Welcome to Profiling Pain. All right, guys. Welcome back to the third episode of Profiling Pain. It's been a it's been a while. I know we had a long uh, vacation because of the holidays and everything else going on. And uh, yeah, I got sick last week, so it's supposed to come out sooner, and it just didn't happen. I was running 102.5 as an adult, which sounds scary as shit to me. But I still put up the Christmas lights, so go me. You were briefly afflicted, but you soldiered through, sir. Very yeah. proud of you. So <laughs> again, uh, the numbers have been starting to climb. I'm, we're, we're very thankful for that. So you, you know, Grande Gracias now. Sure. Yeah, <laughs> Grande Gracias. Anyway, so thank you guys so much for uh, for all the love we've been seeing online and everything else. I mean, it, it, it's shooting through the charts. Again, thank you to Age Radio for picking us up and, and doing anything that you're doing for us. I mean, we're on Spotify, we're on Breaker, we're on we're on uh, iHeartRadio. We're all over the damn place now. In the so, words of Pac, you appreciate it. Yeah, iTunes and those iTunes reviews are very important. But before we get started, uh, the other sultry voice you're hearing right now is uh, it's, it's my ticket from another Mister. It's my it's my ginger companion. It's my it's my, I'm uh, a daywalker, sir. Get it right. <laughs> it's my uh, favorite finger. It's, uh, go ahead, Fuego. Introduce yourself. What's up, y'all? I mean, Fuego here of uh, various institutions, but most notably the horror show. There you go. And Chiron. What am I saying? Come on now. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, it's me, your host, Chris Payne. So real quick before we get started, I want to say thank you very much to... Uh, there's two people in particular for the last couple of weeks that have been pushing me and pushing me, trying to keep my work ethic up. And uh, so... Thank you to uh, Michael Ice and Cameron Dietz. I used your fucking names. Apologize if you guys didn't want that. But thank you guys so much for uh, giving me so much shit about getting this thing done. I just physically pushed him also, by he the way. He did physically push me. I didn't me. do a very good job. But, uh, yeah, and Fuego's been really amped to get this going, too. So uh, that's going to be the staple. You guys are going to hear Chris Payne and Fuego, I mean, all the time on this thing. So I think this is going to be. Unfortunately, for you Mahalo fans out there, you're probably going to hear him. Hey, hey. Sorry. <laughs> you're probably going to hear. joke. <laughs> You're probably gonna hear him in and out anyway. They're they're noisy and uh, Ooh, we're actually a bit to the old in and out. Right? That's right. So we're actually uh, recording this from a uh, what would you call this? The Chiron cage. Yeah, the Chiron cavern. The Chiron cage. I, I don't know. Yeah, it so is kind of a cage because it's very small here in our recording little little, little room bit, of sorts. It's, it's nice. So Casa Calahante, as I used to call it. Yeah, I, I haven't used that name in a while, but <laughs> I like it. So um, we're actually recording where we are going to be recording our album. So we got that going on. Like we mentioned, every time we are a band, we do do music. So. Um, I'm even entertaining the idea of throwing up a couple songs like at the end of episodes. If you guys are interested, you know, email us at uh, Santartainment at gmail.com or hit us up on the Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Chiron Bandit AZ. Santar spelled with a C, just right. like Chiron. All over Reverb Nation, same thing, Chiron Bandit AZ. Um, so, yeah, so sorry for the break. And also, a big We're apology. Sorry, sorry yeah, guys. A big apology for the uh, sound quality of the last episode. I've been telling everybody if you pretend you're in a bar, it sounds legit. So. It was a bad mic cable, as we found out after recording the whole thing. But we tested our levels this time, so we are hopefully sounding proper. Yeah, we don't. We really don't do too much editing. We want you guys to have like the full fledged thing. And uh, so, due to not doing that, you guys got the full fledged issue. So. Enjoy. But, <laughs> but thank you guys. But very more much. subscribers came. So That's right. Yeah, it came. Uh, December has actually been a really good month for us so far. Yeah. So all of uh, your research paying off, sir. Oh my God. Yeah. So last. This one. man has books of notes. <laughs> like seriously, books worth. So the last episode at the end, we were talking about today's case, which is uh, Richard Chase, the Vampire of Sacramento, and Ooh, uh, I like fangers. Yeah. So that's that's one of the reasons why I picked this one for you. Yeah. But it's actually a very very. Uh, Dark episode. We're gonna try to keep it as lighthearted as possible, but there's gonna be a. There's you gave me a preview, and it sounded pretty ferocious. Man. Yeah, there's <laughs> gonna be a disclaimer. So listen for the disclaimer. But welcome to the disclaimer. That's right, the disclaimer. <laughs> That's anyway. right. So this episode, uh, we're gonna be cranking to eleven. So we always try to, though. Yeah, but I'll give you. I'll give you a fair warning. I'll give you about a, a ten second head start to turn it off if you need to. So Richard Chase, the vampire of Sacramento. So here we go. All right, so he was an American serial killer who killed six people. Only six? Um, but it, the way he did it. So in the span of a month in California, his obsession with drinking blood and eating the organs of his victims Oof. earned him the the title of, you know, the Vampire of Sacramento. So here we go. We're going to go into his early years. So in the early years, Richard Chase, born Richard Trenton Chase, May 23rd of 1950. So, basic instructional guide for a serial killer. Um, he uh, had a overly strict parents. I mean, nothing out of the norm for the 50s and 60s, really. But they ended up splitting. There was a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, I don't know what you'd say, like a lot of turmoil in the relationship. They ended up getting a divorce. And during 
during the divorce trial is the argument was who was going to take him, but not because either one of them really wanted him. I was going to say, didn't yeah. they're like, let's both wash our hands of this creature Ex- we created together. <laughs> exactly. So, I mean, you know, there's some, you read some things, they say that he had an abusive father. You read other things, they said that he had a 1960s father, which I think are two of the same. Hippie? Like, I mean. <laughs> yeah. So eventually he turned into a fire starter. Mutilating animals by the age of ten. Prodigy uh, wasn't even around yet. Wetting the bed. So this is going to be an educational episode. This is uh, the McDonald Triad. He showed every sign of the McDonald Triad. Which, if you don't know what that is, it's it's fires. a triple double. It's three pieces <laughs> of cheese and it's, it's, done <laughs> it's uh, the three key signs of a serial killer. So you have uh, fire starting, wetting the bed. And uh, animal mutilation. I wonder why wetting the bed. That's the only one that seems kind of like so many kids wet their beds. And yeah, it's not very fair. I mean, my kid wets the bed, so I mm. think that's why we don't let him drink water Ooh. after seven p.m. anymore. Right under the bus, right under the bed, because it seeps through. You know. But realistically, it's the uh, animal mutilation that really, I'd say, pinpoints what they're going to do later. In the I future. totally burned stuff as a kid. I did not yeah. kill small animals. No, I started I mean, fires all the damn time. Although fire I did fun. turn into a fanger. Anyway. So. By 10, like I said, he was mutilating animals. Uh, neighbors were finding their cats buried in their yard, all kinds of shit. Like, yeah, I mean, he was he was a little over the top with his animal mutilation. It wasn't normal, like, tie a fire, you know, firecracker to the to a dog's tail or shove a That's normal? <laughs> so anyway. <Yeah>. Silence. <laughs> <laughs> I just killed ants, man, with magnifying glasses. That's about as far as I went. <laughs> yeah, I am your god now. Yes. So, uh, but into his teens, he was already drinking heavily, and he was smoking the devil's leaf. Uh, so Does as a teenager, yeah, he wasn't. I don't think he's really out of the norm for a teenager, especially in the '60s. You know, in the '60s, I Devil mean, grass. Yeah, people were. I mean, doing LSD by 15. I mean, like, I, it, one of the things I couldn't remember the name of it last. Now they're episode. smoking meth at 12. It's yeah, like, come no on, shit. <laughs> so I couldn't, dude. Their parents are prescribing meth to these kids. Adderall, <laughs> just saying. Yeah. No, but uh, uh, so in the '60s, just in the saying. '70s. I mean, I, I wanted to I talk really. about it in the '50s last episode, but I, I had mentioned uh, I couldn't name, I couldn't remember the name of the of the conspiracy theory, which isn't a conspiracy theory; it's a proven thing. Mm. MK Ultra. I've been trying to figure out that name forever. MK Ultra. You ever heard of MK Ultra? It was on the Super Nintendo. It had all <laughs> the characters, and uh, I could play Smoke and Noob Cybot. And, so, uh, <laughs> Stranger Things is huge right now. Everybody's obsessed mm-hmm. with Stranger. So, Season three coming next year. Right. So the mom was part of the MK Ultra program, where they would actually. This is a true story. They would actually pump people full of psychedelics LSD to see the effects stuff like that and leave them in like the, the solitary chambers and stuff like that you know that's what uh, Firestarter the Stephen King book was about oh, right okay. was experimental psychedelic drugs and then that's how that's how Charlie gets the you know kind of powers and stuff anyway so Psy King hail the Stephen King what they <laughs> so what they were doing was they were trying to actually turn people into an empaths and like give them psych, you know psychological powers like oh yeah like tell on psychokinesis and, and stuff like that and that was how no. that was how they were gonna battle the Russians because supposedly Russians were doing the same thing supposedly which if you if <laughs> which you look, honestly they probably oh, were oh dude for sure but I mean yeah. if you look at like a, I, I know we're getting off topic for a second but if you look at like a, the 1940s and all the experimentations that the Nazis were doing and like Japan. Holy See, shit. See, Overlord. Overlord's good. Yeah, Japan mm-hmm. was doing all kinds of crazy experiments. Worse than the Nazis were, if you could believe it. Worse like, than, like, trying to crossbreed, like, like having dogs, like, banging women to see what sort yeah. of weird spawn would yeah, occur and like, stuff. Like, there's a, I can't remember. It was called, Well, like, the Japanese, like, they got their hentai. They're into some weird shit, man. I mean, I don't and, know. And plus, <laughs> their genitals are blurry. I don't know how that happens. We were talking about that earlier. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, uh, but by his teens, he was actually showing absolutely no shame for his acts. So he had absolutely no empathy. So that's another sign of, of, of a future serial killer. Well, and now, that's also parents not being around to hopefully curb that sort of behavior right. when they see it. St- I mean, Broken Home is the classic case when that yeah. stuff goes ignored because they're not the, the, you don't have a dedicated two parent, whether it's two men, two women, whatever. I mean, when the, the more parents, the better. The more role models, the better for troubled children. That was also the era of denial. There's nothing wrong with my kid. There's nothing yeah. wrong with my kid. There's nothing wrong with my kid. Yeah, because it's a reflection on you. And you now, as a parent, right? Yeah. I mean, you, you think that yourself, right? And <laughs> nowadays, every kid's on all kinds of fucking meds. So, uh... That's the go-to. I mean, I still remember my youngest brother. He was unruly in class. They're like, I think I talked about this on the first episode of the show. Just give him drugs, you know? We don't want to deal with him. You yeah, know? Like yeah, to, yeah. He, he's ADHD, whatever, and my parents were like, nope. We just have a little asshole of a son. Yeah, diagnosing to... kids at bipolar when they're seven. Like, mm-hmm. it's crazy. So, much like uh, the Columbine shooters, uh, mm-hmm. he wasn't he wasn't an outcast in school or anything of like that. He actually dated a lot of women and was very popular. Mm. Plus... No Orange Pushmaster or anything. But, no, then... but in high school, he was also the weed hookup. So, I'm sure he had a lot of friends. 
So, you know, he dated several girls throughout high school. Uh, one actually ended up in an interview after the entire case uh, explaining that he was unable to perform in the bedroom. Now, we're going to cover a lot of a lot of serial killers. And let me tell you that hmm. a man's flaccid penis is the key to a lot of bloodshed. <laughs> like, I don't know why, but there's a lot not of... Not being able to get it Like Albert Fish. I there's mean, drugs could, for that. Yeah, you can... Well, maybe not in the 70s, but you can no. go down the line. I think they had a... According to Austin Powers, they had a pump, but it's not his bag. But they had a... <laughs> it's not mine. But yeah, a, a, flaccid, a flaccid penis causes a lot of uh, a lot of damage. So his little soldier couldn't... The world over, I would imagine. Yeah. Um, so obviously as a young man, this bothered him a great deal. So thinking he may be suffering from a mental illness, he, he diagnosed himself. Okay? Well, and then they actually with... I mean, isn't that typical with, like, ED and stuff where, where people are like, yeah, you probably have some mental shit going yeah, on, yeah. And, which is why you can't, like, get it up. So at 18, on his own, on his own, like, you know, his own terms, he actually decided to visit a, a psychologist. Um, he learned that uh, a root cause of his impotence might be repressed anger from his childhood or his dad or, you know what I mean? So the, right. the psychologist thought that he had a major problem, but did not have him committed at the time. You know, you know, between he didn't really mention the animal mutilation or anything else like that. It was just all the erection and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So after moving out of his parents' house, he actually went to junior college for a while. And uh, what they said in junior college is that they're like, "So how was he as a student? He was, uh, he wasn't what what they say. They he wasn't a very impressive student. That's about all they had to say about him." But he actually I'm sure they get a lot of those in junior college. Yeah, <laughs> but he did, however, have two female roommates while he was in junior college, hmm. and uh, so he's on his own, essentially. You know, through, and his odd behavior started to actually grow more severe. Um, even close friends of his being thrown off by his behavior. So, pretty much, his uh, his drug use worsened, and uh, roommates actually reported on multiple occasions during parties that he would just lay on the ground. Just and start shaking, and then get up and walk away. He would just lay on the ground, pretend to convulse, get up and just walk away. So he was, was pretending. He wasn't actually like right. having a seizure. Or yeah, something. and there was a couple occasions where he would actually just come and sit down on the couch with everybody, stark naked, just sitting there naked, like with absolutely no reasoning. So he was like Louis C.K. or whatever. His name was. <laughs> <laughs> Essentially, uh, one time he actually nailed his closet door shut and his bedroom door shut, uh, ex- explaining that uh, Nazis were coming to take his blood from him. Like, he was losing his fucking mind. He's getting there. <laughs> yeah, so we're going to move on a little bit. So after afterwards, he kind of, you know, later on, he started becoming obsessed with any sign that something was wrong with himself. Uh, and it was only increasing even more into his adulthood. So his roommates actually left in the middle of the night. They were like, we can't deal with this shit anymore. They were, like, afraid of him. So they're like, okay, so we just bounced out. So when he couldn't really cover his rent anymore. So he ended up moving back into his mom's house, and his parents couldn't deal with his shit because he was just too fucking weird, you know. And mom had like remarried, presumably, or something. No, or? she was she she was still single. Like mm-hmm. they, and, you know, and, and she would still talk to the dad periodically about his behavior. So they actually ended up sending. He actually mutilated his mom's cat, mm-hmm. and she was like, "All right, you need to go ahead and just go to your grandmother's now. I'm not going to deal with your shit." So while living with his grandmother, that was what um, broke the well cats back and so yeah. Back. Nah. So he actually ended up. Uh, walking into an emergency room looking for the person who stole his pulmonary artery, shouting, who stole my artery? I was going to eat that myself. Yeah, he also was complaining a lot about his bones were coming out through the back of his head Hmm. and that his stomach was put in backwards and that his heart often just stopped beating at times. So, although he thought that he might... He got committed at that point in the hospital, just in the regular hospital, and he thought that he might actually, they thought, sorry, that he might actually be suffering from a drug-induced toxic psychosis. So he was put under observation for 72 hours, and then it was recommended that he stay, but they gave him permission to leave whenever he wanted, and he just walked the fuck out. Hmm. He was like, well. Acid is heavy, man. I yeah, mean, I only yeah. know from experience a and, handful of times. And, so. dur- and <laughs> during all this time, he's actually an acid dealer. He, like, that's how he's making mm. his little bit of money. He was actually. Stick a, to the mushies, man. Grown in the ground. No toxic chemicals. So mm-hmm. after after all this, he kind of submerged himself into uh, hypochondria and drug abuse. Uh, he was 5'11 and only weighed 145 pounds. Oof. Like, he got obsessed with his drugs and just he wouldn't eat anything. He started becoming. Whittled away. You know, not to jump the gun, but he kind of became obsessed with with blood. And I'm going to get into what that, that issue is actually called. Um, this is going to be kind of an educational episode, I guess. So anyway, 145 pounds. All right, He was uh, unable to maintain a job or any form of normality. 
So he moved back in with his mother again for a while. Uh, his father made him make uh, – sorry, his father made him move out and actually start paying rent on an apartment for him because it was too much for the mom to handle. The dad didn't want him. The grandmother couldn't do it anymore. So his father actually went and got him his own apartment in Sacramento. There, go live here. Go do this. And Still, and, that feels like enabling a situation where there's yeah. so many other things that need to be addressed. It's yeah, like, seriously. come on now. Yeah, so his main issue is that he thought that he had a lack of blood. Like, that's why he thought that he, he couldn't He personally get needed more. Yeah, yeah. so he thought well, that his heart wouldn't beat. He thought that he couldn't Well, they say that that all, I mean, heart disease and yeah. you know, all, all kinds of different stuff, you know, it all ties in with, you know, getting your heart on. Yeah, so... So while living Need blood down there, peoples. <laughs> yeah. So while living on his own, in order to get the blood that he so required, he actually started going, taking daily trips to a rabbit farm nearby, and buying rabbits oh by boy. like the bucket load. No pun intended. You know what I mean? Like, because yeah. what he would do is he had, I mean, he had rabbit cages throughout his whole fucking apartment. He would actually take these rabbits, decapitate them, drain them of their blood, cut open their stomachs, take the entrails and all their guts, and put them inside of a blender. Hmm. And he would blend them up and drink protein shakes. Yeah, interesting. Like, yeah, was he reading Watership Down at the time? He <laughs> hadn't been released yet. I can't remember. So not reading. He was okay. So he had a lot of anatomy books. Mm-hmm. He read a lot on human anatomy. Oh, if he's like going for specific organs and whatnot, of yeah. course, yeah. He's, but he's looking at that. His stuff. main obsession was television. Hmm. He would just like he's like a lot of other people. Then he would get all drunk on blood, television. do some LSD, and sit there and watch TV. Hmm. So. The main reason for his bloodlust. Did he though, like his daytime soap operas? Did he <laughs> like the uh, the news talk? Did he? <laughs> this is probably I'd say this is the very early seventies. So who? I mean, Sanford and Son. What was on in the seventies? Mash. I don't. I'm They're not coming sure. to get me, mom. Anyway. Yeah, so, so I'm uh, John, the, the whole reason he got obsessed with the blood so much is that he actually thought that his heart was shrinking and disappearing from his from his body. Hmm. He once. So, Got to get more blood in there and make it beef back up. It's like a muscle. So later on, what he gets diagnosed with, and I'll explain it right now, is with the heart shrinking and, 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 and thinking he needs more blood, that's called Kotar delusion. And we've talked about this before for songs. Yeah. Where Kotar delusion is where you actually have the belief that you're decaying from the inside and that vital organs or limbs are getting ready to go away. You, you think you're a walking corpse. Hmm, I've been now, thinking that for a while. Yeah, mm-hmm. so, he has <laughs> <laughs> so he has that mixed with what's called Renfield syndrome, which is actually based off of a, a book character. I can't remember the name but uh, Renfield syndrome actually comes in three stages. The first stage is you get obsessed with your own blood. So you're drinking your own blood whenever you get a cut or anything else like that, trying to keep your blood in your body. The second stage, you switch to uh, zoology. You're, you're, you're draining animal blood. Uh, okay. I know what the end game is then. Cannibalism. <laughs> exactly. Right now, he's in stage two, but he had a really bad bout of of, of uh, Renfield syndrome. So maybe he was trying to like not go over that edge. Maybe he was trying not to cross that line. He's he, like, maybe just animals are going to be enough for me. He and... moves into larger animals. So on a specific rabbit occasion, his dad shows up to play cards with him. His dad would show up monthly for visits and just talk with He's him. He's like, and... oh, great uh, collection of rabbit heads you got there, right. son. <laughs> so his dad would show up and they'd just play cards. I can't imagine what rummy, maybe? I don't know. Hmm. But he noticed go that fish? He, he noticed that, that Chase enough was, blood. was very, very pale. Like, he looked very, very sickly. And he goes, what's going on? He goes, oh, I think I got a bad rabbit. He goes, what, 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 a bad rabbit? Because he noticed all the cages in the blood everywhere. He's like, what do you mean a bad rabbit? And of course, you know, I mean, 60s, 70s, hunting is a big thing. Everybody, People eat rabbits. Rabbit's yeah. good. So... Right, exactly. So uh, he goes, what do you mean you got a bad rabbit? I guess Chase believed that battery acid was dripping from the walls and somehow tainted some rabbit blood. So he ate a bad rabbit and then to make up for it, injected rabbit blood directly into his veins. Now that is where we could see some big problems. That is, yeah. So his father immediately took him to the hospital where once again... Ingestion is one thing. Intervenous is a totally different story. (laughs) Yeah, so once again, he was was, uh, committed into the hospital. So... He ended up actually getting blood poisoning from the rabbit blood. Uh, and then after thinking he drank bad blood and the whole thing or else like that. So, so no battery finally, acid. Finally. He was just. No, he was just crazy. He's yeah. nuts. Okay. So finally he was actually committed to a real mental institution. Now he escaped two days later by running out the front door. So they caught him and was transferred to a more secure facility. <laughs> so while there, this is where he actually earned the name Dracula. Uh, so only ever talking about blood and animal mutilation and ordering, uh, so he's only talking about blood and animal mutilation the entire time he's in there. So they, that's why they ended up getting the name Dracula, blah, blah, blah. But he, uh, an orderly, this is a funny story, an orderly actually caught him in his orderly. room with, uh, with a bunch of decapitated pigeons. Hmm. And he had blood and pigeon feathers all over his face. And the orderly goes, what happened here? And now Richard Chase actually had a really high voice for a male. 
And his response was, I cut myself shaving. Right. Right. What were you using, sir? <laughs> with, with feathers all over his damn face. Like, it was, yeah. So, so they're <laughs> just smiling and nodding, and they're like, yeah, you're where you need to be. Yeah, so... <laughs> so, uh... They went into his room. All the pigeons were missing heads. He cut himself shaving. They, so he went up. He was there for four months. He went up in front pigeons. of... Ugh. He went up in front of the board multiple times, and his own psychiatrist actually said, well, right now, he's not really a hazard to himself or anyone else. It's just He's just kind of doing weird things with animals. And in the 70s, there was a bunch of weird hippies walking around doing weird shit constantly, so they couldn't hold him for being weird. Yeah. And his psychiatrist actually stood firm, stood firm on him getting out. What happened was his mom signed the release paper saying that she'll keep him under her supervision, and they prescribed him meds at the time. Now, while he's living with his mother, um, his his mom decided that she wanted to wean him off the meds. She didn't like him walking around zombified. And it goes into that it whole denial thing. It tends to do that to people. <laughs> yeah, so that goes, off, that goes off the whole denial thing. Oh, my son is fine. My son is fine. My son is fine. My son is fine. So he was actually re- released September 29th in 1976. Um, on Christmas that year, actually, right around Christmas that year, <laughs> having to renew their uh, conservatorship re- annually, his mom never renewed it, never even tried, just weaned him off the meds, got him doing whatever he wants. So at one point, uh, Chase a- actually graduated to uh, to cats and dogs and took his mother's dog, and uh, this is how he ended up back in his own apartment again. Mm. He took his mother's dog, shot the dog in the head, and drained the blood all over his own face. Now, the mom left the blood portion out, but explained to the dad that he had mutilated the dog, you know, and the dad was like... No details. We don't want to say how messed up our kid is. <laughs> yeah, and the dad was like, put him back in his apartment. Just get rid of the kid. Just put no. him back. You know, he's fine when he's on his own. He's fine so when he's on his own. So much shuffling around here, though, as opposed to, like, actually addressing the issue, man. And that's, that's obviously how it continues to get worse, which is so crazy. So when he got back into his own apartment, he was actually... Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline obsessed with with larger animals now rabbits didn't quite have the amount of blood that he needed so he started More cats going, obviously if you're going for dogs unless they're like you know little little yip yippers or right. something so he actually ended up getting 86 from a lot of uh animal shelters because they noticed how many he was taking oh, and they were like and now and the entire time this guy is constantly covered in blood he's always but it, i mean it's brown at this point because it's dry yeah, it's but he's dry and flaking he's always covering something and, there, and he was never like a like a mysterious character because i guess at Despite the time that <laughs> well i guess at the time like seeing dirty hippies walking around was like a normal thing you're talking mm-hmm. in the 70s you know what i mean there wasn't anything too too out of the norm he was just an odd guy they just hmm. labeled him an odd guy but he ended up getting 86 and there's talks that when he would enter animal shelters dogs on scent would just like rear back from them. They would hide from them. I would imagine. Those like pheromones, they are tough to wash off, especially if you're dirty and the flaking crap and you're not washing yourself if, properly like a good dirty hippie dog. Yeah, right. and depending on what book you read, they'll tell you like, oh, they could sense the evil on them. I think the blood too, yeah. No. So August 3rd, 1977, off his meds and, and living alone, uh, tribal police <laughs> were called out after reports of an abandoned uh, car being seen near Pyramid Lake on Walker River uh, Reservation in Nevada. So police inspect the, the abandoned vehicle. It's a 1966 Ford Ranchero with a bumper sticker that said, I'd rather be flying. <laughs> so <laughs> officers uh, checked the vehicle, and they found a bucket filled with blood and a liver resting in it. Also, a loaded 30-30 rifle and a 22 rifle, both also covered in blood, and also a stack of blood-soaked clothes and some blood-soaked tennis shoes. So surveying the surrounding area with binoculars to see if they could see anything lying around, they found Richard a half mile away perched naked on a giant rock just sitting there in blood. Wow. So the cops approach, and he runs off. Naked carry status, just like kind of enjoying the outdoors. So (laughs) after they catch him, they ask where the blood came from, and he just says, it came from inside me. Like, okay, so it turns out that the liver was actually from a cow. So no, mm. no crazy, crazy now. I was gonna ask if it was a human organ at this point. Yeah, right. No, but it was a cow. We crossed over. <laughs> and the craziest part is they just let him go. The only arrest that he had throughout his history before finally getting caught was a, a weed possession and a, a unregistered gun possession. That was his only arrest. Hmm. 
And, and the gun possession at that time, slap but, on the wrist. I mean, depending yeah. on your state, obviously. But right. Yeah. And the we're in the wild, police... wild west in Arizona, man. I mean, they didn't give a crap. <laughs> Still. And uh, the tribal police actually just let him go. They're like, we can't arrest him for being weird. Hmm. Right. Like, they're like, he's on some peyote or something. Yeah, yeah they just yeah, let like, him go. Like, it's just a naked, yeah. dirty hippie covered in cow blood. Let yeah. him go. So Once again, just ignoring the problem. Just right. wash your hands of it. And it would actually be four months later that he would actually commit his first real murder. He was getting close based on the buildup that you're mentioning. The here, animal though. size, yeah. the amount of blood that he's requiring, mm-hmm. everything else like that. So everything, he's working up to it. Yeah, everything <laughs> has a build. So his first murder attempt actually came on December 27th, two days after Christmas in 1977. So Dorothy Polensky doing her dishes at 6.30 p.m. heard a loud pop, breaking glass, and a hot streak passed just above her head, hitting the bun that she had tightly above her hair and then smacking into the cabinet behind her. She turns, looks out the window, and she just sees Richard Chase hopping a fence. So he's getting more brazen. Well, obviously, if he's doing it at 6.30 at night, too. I mean, like, God. Well, all of his murders will actually actually happen in the middle of the day. So Bold, man. Bold as love. So we're getting into... uh, Different kind of love, though. I'm going to explain shortly the difference between spree killer and serial killer, but this man was kind of a hybrid. Hmm. He was eventually... Well, because, like, serial killer is done over a lengthy period of time, right? right? Whereas spree killer, obviously, hence the term, it's like, you know, you you want to get your load off all at once, and so just boom, 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 boom kind of thing, right? Exactly. So speculation on the sudden escalation is because his parents wouldn't let him come to Christmas, actually. He was being too weird for them. So There's always a breaking point, right? There's something that pushes you off the edge, and it's usually not necessarily orchestrated by you. It's like everyone has a breaking point kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. So this is right after I said he took his mother's cat, shot it, and and did the whole blood thing. Cat or the dog? Because I know he did Sorry, it was was actually his mother's cat. Yeah, I I, I mixed up a couple things. But it was was actually his mother's cat, not not his mother's dog. Um, That's kind of what made them go like, you need to just stay gone now. And at this point, actually... Leading up to the murders, he started dressing normal and coming over to his parents' house and acting like everything's fine. He never mentioned blood. He was trying to keep up this normal persona all of a sudden. Mm, but that's but, because he had more to hide at that point. But only so. for his parents is the strange part. He would mm. walk around dirty, drudgy the whole time. Well, they were like the ones paying the bills, though, right? So, yeah, exactly. obviously, <laughs> so, maintain that face. Yeah, so leading up to the murder, all right? So December 28th in his Ford Ranchero, uh, he hit the streets after this first attempt, obviously. So... This is December 28th now, the next day. So did she, like, call authorities on him and he escaped or whatever? Like, I mean, he, I mean because yeah. you said this was the first attempt. So so, so I'm kind of, like, just going to give you the crimes. And then the next episode, when I talk about, who's not even actually the profile. It's a very interesting mm. case. When I talk about the, the hero, uh, R. Van Helsing, I guess, that catches uh, the vampire, right? Uh, I'll give you the rundown of what the investigation actually consisted of and how many times the cops were called. But for this one, I'm just going to give you him, just and, his version of the story. And if I see Van Helsing, <laughs> so December die, 28th, I cannot. The next day in his Ford Ranchero, he hit the streets of Sacramento and uh, found his first actual murder victim. All right, About a mile from his apartment. All this shit happened about a mile from his apartment. That's why it just seemed... Anyway. Wow. I mean, you would right. think venturing far, you know, somebody would have something plotted a little bit. Well, the, the, Once again, back to the insanity that was well, just got, taking hold. Like I said, that time that he was actually, you know, committed, he got diagnosed with uh, paranoid schizophrenia. So you mix that with Renfield and Cotard. He has, and the thing with schizophrenics is that when, when they go to do something, it's all about patterns. There's got to be something that they see, and we'll, we'll see where that comes into play, actually. Yeah, it's about, it's about good good numbers, good cycles, you know, things like that. Yeah. Exactly. So about a mile from his apartment, he spotted a 51-year-old uh, Ambrose. Ambrose Griffin was the man's name. Okay, he was uh, unloading groceries from his car. His wife later reported hearing two loud bangs and then turned around to see her husband go limp on the ground. And now Ambrose is actually – the first shot actually missed – but the second shot got him right in the chest. Now, he's holding his chest saying, I've been shot, I've been shot. But because women are always right, his wife was proclaiming, <laughs> he's having a heart attack, he's having a heart attack. And the man is yelling, I've been shot. And she's screaming, he's having a heart attack, he's having a heart attack. Like, even in the man's final breaths, the wife had to be right. And he's yelling that he was shot. So I'm not was, touching that argument with a 10-foot pole. <laughs> so so uh, he actually fled the scene, but that was his first real, like, actual, like, Boom, hit. Yeah. All right. So proclaiming he had a heart attack. Now, no leads actually came from the shooting, even with attempts of hypnotizing. So in the 60s and the 70s. They went that far? (laughs) Well, that was actually a big thing. If you go back and look at as many crimes as I've looked at, in the 1970s, 
they would try to hypnotize so many witnesses. But even with hypnotizing one of the witnesses, which was, I think, an 11-year-old boy. Would they say it was a hip thing to do at the time? <laughs> nice. Ah. Uh, it couldn't be, it w- or it wouldn't be uh, until his arrest that they actually knew it was him that did it. So January 23rd of 1978. So now we're, what? We're many years. We're like almost a whole decade into just the buildup, though, I feel like. Well, so we went through his childhood in the 60s and everything else like that. Yeah. But all of his, like, Tracing actual, the steps. Yeah, I mean, yeah. and it was a lot of failures in a lot of different directions. I mean, the psychiatrist, his parents, like, this, this on, honestly, with, especially with what we're going to describe here shortly, there is no sympathy for this man whatsoever. But what makes me the most angry is all the signs were there. And I, and I understand <clears> the 60s and the 70s, and, and, and the systems were different then. But there were so many signs. There were so many times where, I mean, he even went Red in. Red flags and, like a mofo, yo. <laughs> he even went in and said himself that he wasn't feeling well. You know what I mean? Like, he tried to turn himself in. Well, not turn himself in, but, like, you know, commit himself. Yeah. And he was that, at, that at means turn, he was slightly cognizant of the yeah. way the process was going. Like he's like, I don't feel right. There's something wrong with it me. Please help like, me. <laughs> it almost feels like at every turn he was just getting validation. Mm. You know what I mean? Like there's nothing wrong with me. So moving on. So January 23rd of 1978, it was time to claim his first actual blood victim. Okay, this is where we're gonna start getting into blood. Now, this part. It gets a little gruesome. It's nothing compared to the next one, but I'm going <laughs> to give you this one. I'm so only this is another disclaimer. <laughs> so real quick, um, I'm going to go into detail. I'm going I'm to try not to go into too, 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 too much because this isn't murder porn. This is just educational. I so want to hear some of it, though. You, you're going to. You're going to. Um, so right now, I'm going to give you 10 seconds to go ahead and either cut to the next episode where it's not going to be quite as bloody or hold out for five minutes, and then we're going to get into more funny stuff, and then it'll be another disclaimer. So go ahead. Ten seconds. Okay. We don't need to wait. Perfect. Five, ten. Yeah. I like it. All right. So now, beginning at 2909 Bernie Street, he walked up to a house uh, belonging to Gene Layton, tried all doors, eventually coming to the back door where Gene was uh, actually staring out. He came, she came face-to-face with Richard. The two just stared at each other. Then Richard just walked away, lighting a cigarette. Now, down the street, he walked into the home of Robert and Barbara Edwards. The doors weren't locked, and Chase would say later that he wouldn't enter a locked home because he felt that he wasn't welcome. What does that sound like? Hmm, you must be invited in. You're a vampire. Very vampire-esque qualities. Now, Robert and Barbara came home from grocery shopping to find Chase holding... A few things. He was holding a uh, like a like a family heirloom dagger, like all kinds of weird random shit you wouldn't think of that people would have in their house. But I mean, we all have weird shit too. He's so coming to get you. Bob, he was tra- right? yeah. He's trying to rob the place now. While they're chasing him around the house and trying to chase him out, he's screaming the whole time. I was trying to. I was just taking a shortcut. Like <laughs> they're chasing him around. <laughs> right. They're chasing him around the damn. I was house. just going through your house because it was like going through your house right. was the quickest so, way. To <laughs> so they finally get him out of the house and then they go to check around the house to see what's missing, what's moved. They make it to their baby's room and he had actually opened up all the baby's drawers, peed all over the baby's clothes, and took a fat deuce right in the crib, right in the center of the territory. (laughs) Yeah, that's some Albert Fish shit. That might be another episode, So, but if you want to do some quick research, Albert Fish, holy shit. Now... No pun intended. (laughs) Now, after Richard left the house, he headed to a store because his favorite was orange soda, where he ran into an old high school friend of his, Nancy Holden. Now, Chase walked up to her, and the first thing out of his mouth was, were you on the motorcycle when Kurt was killed? Because that'd be fucking awesome. Now, she had actually dated Kurt in high school. Kurt did die in a, more, die in a motorcycle accident, but she, she was looking at him like, who the fuck is this? And she finally looked at him and realized that it was actually Richard from high school. But she didn't really recognize him at first because he was super skinny, dirty, smelt. And he, at the entire time this was all going on, he was wearing a bright orange ski parka covered <laughs> in dry blood. Mm. But... They just looked at it as brown stains. So everybody kind of assumed it was fecal matter, actually. Yeah, they thought it was shite. (laughs) Right. So he then asked her for a ride and attempted to actually climb into the car with her. But before he could, she locked the doors and drove the fuck off. Now, the entire time this is happening, he has a twenty-two pistol and a shoulder holster on him. Right. So he's armed the entire time. And he bought that pistol for like 69 bucks. He actually asked his mom. Which was a decent amount of money back then. He actually asked his mom to go get him the shoulder holster. She wouldn't. So he just ran into a thrift store, stole it, and ran out. So he's, he's, Mm. right. So now, here we go, guys. This is this is the uh, this is cranking now, it to now, 11. Now we're getting there. Here we go. So at 2360 Tioga Way. This is what you've been waiting for. The same night, he came across a blue van parked in the driveway. Now, there's speculation that he might have actually seen the same van at the store that he was at because schizophrenics, like I said, look for patterns. 
he would actually say later that he recognized the van. So the same van at the store and happened to see it in the home. Now, <sighs> Teresa Wallen, okay, walking to her door while just outside, Chase was actually placing a bullet casing in her mailbox. Now, I wonder why. <laughs> yeah. Now, carrying his 22 and preparing to enter the home, Teresa was actually walking out the front door with two bags of garbage she was getting ready to toss out. He met her there. She found Chase standing there, pointing the pistol. She dropped the bags, put her hands up to defend herself, and he fired. The first bullet entered her palm, traveled up her arm, and exited her elbow, actually cutting the side of her neck. Wow. The second shot, after she dropped, was six inches away from her temple, which, honestly, with what I'm about to describe next, I would say is a mercy killing. Now, he has a thing for killing quickly. He is what you would call a product killer. He mm. wants nothing to do with the actual killing. That would be a product killer. A product killer. A process killer is somebody mm. who enjoys the actual act of the murder. So they they try to dry it out. It's more torture of a stuff like that. Aspect. Yeah, uh, exactly. Ugh. Now, a product Not a fan killer. Of the torture porn, yeah. No, <laughs> a product killer is somebody who actually kills people to get what he wants out of it at the end. Mm. So it's it's uh, anything that happens to do with the person itself is usually post mortem or somebody who will kill somebody to get what they have. It's just a product killing. So he is the definition of a product killer. because so product versus process. Exactly. It just depends on how quickly you want to get to the end game. I mean, I guess there's some people who they're more just fascinated by what happens after the death, and then there's others who are more fascinated with the process leading up to ending it eventually. Ugh. And, anyway. you know, I mean, product killers are bad, but... I don't want to say there's a silver lining, but what happens post-mortem mm. is post-mortem. There's no torture. You know, it's... It's, it's a crimson liner. Yeah, <laughs> well put. Mm. So he dragged her body, all right, into the room, into her room, leaving a streak of blood, okay? He laid her down on the bed. Then he grabbed a knife from the kitchen and an empty yogurt cup that actually fell out of the garbage when she dropped it. So very quickly, he removed her left nipple. Then he cut the torso just beneath the sternum. Pulled out the spleen and the rest of the entrails, leaving only the kidneys inside. Then he went to the bathroom with the yogurt, slammed it like a shooter, and then covered himself with what was left of the blood and drank what he couldn't get out of the yogurt container. After all this, he had gone outside, okay, retrieved a, a handful of dog feces, came back in, and put it into the victim's mouth. <laughs> yeah, that's just the ultimate, like, desecration, you know? <sighs> so yeah. entrails... Yogurt thing. I'm going to get into he every – okay, so every murder scene actually has – Chris rings. can tell I'm getting a little uncomfortable hearing it about gets, this. It gets worse. <laughs> Dude. Great. I'm glad you forewarned me. <laughs> so it, it gets worse. Um, but uh, so real quick, to cover crime scene, at every crime scene there's bloody footprints and there was rings in the ground. We'll cover what that is later. If you can mm. guess what the rings are, it's a bucket. He mm. would find a bucket. Okay, so anyway. Now this is the worst part. The husband comes home to find her like this. Like I said, everything happens like in the middle of the day. The husband actually came home to find his wife like this, and it turns out that she was six weeks pregnant. Oh, God. Yeah. So. Winner. Yeah. Winners. Jeez. So. Anyway. <laughs> all right. Now, he got back to his apartment shortly after that murder, and then he just sat there and watched TV the rest of the day. Was he on psychedelic drugs? Right. Now, two days later, after this murder, a puppy was actually found killed and mutilated close to the, close to the Wallens' home. Now... A strange man was reported with dingy, stringy hair driving a ranchero had actually bought two puppies from a family uh, on the 25th of that month. They found one of the puppies that they didn't sell to this man dead from the litter, and he was shot in the head with a 22, and all his entrails were gouged out. Like, I can't even describe to you how much this animal is mutilated. Now, the only reason I'm bringing up an animal murder after a human murder is because it ties into how he was tracked down. I mean, I, I'm not saying by no means should animals be killed or mutilated like that at all. But Unless you're eating them, I mean. It's a, well, I mean, yeah. So now, January 27th, 1978 would be his, uh, 27th, 1978 would be his next round of murders. But January 24th is how he may have actually found the house. Now, actually, I feel like I might have screwed up my timeline here. But I'll fix it next episode. We're going to go expert, here. sir. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> But this would be his next round of murders. Um, January 24th may have been how he found the house. Now, what he would do, actually, is he would go house to house asking for old issues of Ma Mad Magazine and old issues of Cosmo. He would just go door to door asking for, for old issues. Interesting dichotomy there between those two. 
publications. <laughs> yeah, it's actually, yeah, it's really, really strange how he would do So I want to laugh and I want to, like, you know, pretty myself up. <laughs> like, I mean, and it was all old back issues, too. Like, that's the strangest way to, to track down, I, I don't know. It's, it's, the dude's a schizo. I don't know how else to mm. explain it. He's very crazy. So here we go. So now if you're back in from, from the last one, I'm going to get into, uh, I'm going to get into how bad this actually gets. So <sighs> January 27th, 1978. So this is where we actually. This is victim number two. This is victims um, three, four, five, and six. Mm. Like I said, he's a spree killer. He's, he's the uh, epitome of a spree killer and a serial killer. So what, what covers him as a serial killer is later on when they actually investigate his house. He had dates marked. That was it. He had pre-planned dates, but he had nothing else planned. Evolved. That's the whole pre-premeditated but aspect. Spree, but when you think spree killer, think like berserker killing. Yeah, exactly. You're not thinking everything through. It's just happening like the more spur of the moment as exactly. opposed to um, yeah, thinking it out. So this is where we're really going to crank it to 11. This one's actually really bad. So if you have kids or you have a weak stomach, this is definitely a time to either fast forward about 5, 10 minutes or just listen to the next episode. Because I promise you the next episode, we're going to cover the hero. I'm going to talk about what was found at the scenes, but you're going to hear all the details of what happened to the bodies now. So I'm not going to explain that next episode. I don't feel the need to go over. I don't need to reiterate how gross and grotesque this actually gets. So I'm going to give you the PG-13 version for sure next episode. Hmm. So if you're in your suburban home and you're like, you know, prepping chicken for dinner or whatever and yeah. your little three-year-old is hanging out and, you know, playing with her little little horsey or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. So go shield, ahead. Shield those ears. Yeah. Take your... Put in your little earbuds or whatever. That's right. And uh, at the end of the sentence, turn it off. Hmm. Here we go. Boom. <sighs> Here we go. So... <laughs> this spree killing actually only took about 45 minutes total. Now, this 45-minute time frame is actually what put Chase into people's nightmares forever. He's had books written about him. TV shows have been based on this character, and even what films TV have shows? been based on him. I didn't dive into any of that, but yeah. dude, you, you go down, and once, once I describe it to you, you're gonna, uh, Okay, most recently, I, mm. uh, me and you have both watched Penny Dreadful. A little bit. There's no. aspects of this that ties into shit that happened with the witches in Penny Dreadful. Like, there's little mm. things that he's done that people have... Uh, it's Dude, there's... <sighs> Here we go. <laughs> Get to it. Yeah. Now, uh, Evelyn Miroth, okay, a 38-year-old single mom, divorcee, who lived with two sons, Vernon, who was 13 years old, and Jason, who was 6 years old. Oh, boy. They lived in the Country Club Center neighborhood in Sacramento. Now, Evelyn was at home with Jason and her sister-in-law's 20-month-old baby boy. Okay, Jason was getting ready to go play in the snow with the neighbors. Uh, near the foot of the Sierra Nevada mountains. Okay, so at 9.05 a.m., Evelyn's friend, Danny Meredith, showed up, okay, uh, at the house to check on him and hang out and do whatever it is he does. Mm. Now, he, he showed up. a friend. He was like a exactly. Kato Kalen friend. Yeah, or, check or, on his uh, divorcee friend. Ron Goldman, yeah. Yeah, so he, he shows up in his, in his uh, red station wagon, okay? Now, Evelyn asked him actually to go back out and rent snowshoes for Jason so that Jason can go play in the snow and be able to walk around and everything else. Now, after Danny left the house, Richard Chase entered through the unlocked back door. Now he walked into the bathroom where Evelyn, here we go. He walked into the bathroom where Evelyn had been taking a bath, shot her in the head, dragged her now dead, uh, dragged the now dead woman out of the tub and laid her out on the bed. Now Jason, probably hearing the gunshot, entered the room to inspect the noise uh, where he was actually shot twice in the head at close range. Chase left his body on the floor next to the bed, then went into the kitchen to find a knife. While in the kitchen, uh, he hears the front door, and he happens to walk into the hallway as Danny's entering the hallway. He is met with Richard Chase and was shot straight between the eyes, falls down immediately dead. It's at that moment that Richard Chase hears the cries of the baby in the other room. He walked over to the crib, and just as he had with the first three, he shot the infant in the head. He then returns Jeez. to the bedroom with two carving knives and began to cut away at Evelyn's body. Now cutting open the stomach from sternum to navel, then a second cut across the stomach. He pulled out the intestines, stabbing at specific organs and again leaving only the kidneys. He took out the liver. He cut off a piece and ate it. He pulled out the rest of the organs and collected uh, as much blood as he could at the time. He then rolled Evelyn over to her stomach. He stabbed her anus six times and then he sodomized the wound. He then rolled her back over. So he over. was banging the punctures, essentially. Yeah. Yes. Wow. He then rolled her back over 
sliced <sighs> open the neck and cut out one of her eyes. Now, feeling his work with this body was finished, he went into the baby's room, brought the body into the bathroom, mm. split the head open, and partially uh, dumped the brains into the bathtub. At that point, there was a knock at the front door. Now, the family across the street that was waiting on Jason uh, had actually sent their little girl over to check to see if Jason was ready. So the daughter went to the house to check. Luckily, Richard did not open the door. Instead, he waited till the little girl had left. Then he stole Danny's keys to the station wagon, escaped somehow unseen with a bucket of blood and the baby's body. Mm. The crime scene would be discovered by a worried neighbor 30 minutes later. All right, so... uh that's the note we're going to end it on. Um, next week, well, next week, we're going to record the next episode. And then no juicy baby details just yet, huh? <laughs> yeah, so... Um, my stomach's turning, sir. Thank you. Thank yeah, you for that, by yeah, the way. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I took myself there and left it, man. It was, it was a very crazy research portion. Uh, I wasn't anticipating this episode going as long as it was. I wanted to actually, like, you know, give you the details correctly so you can truly understand how messed up this person was. Like I said, there's no sympathy for the actual killer. It's more or less... There were so many ways that they could have fixed it, and they didn't. Now, next episode. So so this episode, you've learned what Renfield syndrome is. You've learned what the Kotar delusion is. You've learned the difference between process and product killer. You've, you've learned how the system truly worked in the 1960s and 70s. You learned how parents acted. Um, we also explained the McDonald triad to you. There's, there's been a lot of educational value in this episode outside of the grotesque, and that's what I want you to take away from it. It's so funny when you see both ignoring and ignorance in Correct. the same breath. And, and, it's nuts. and also <laughs> we explain the difference between spree and, and serial killer. Now, he, like, like Fuego goes, only six? You could see why those six were so, I don't want to say epic, but gruesome. I mean, that, yeah, that, and that's, that's where, and that's where, to, I mean, you don't want to use a, a, a term like style or something, but like just the extent of the nastiness that you employ is what makes you notorious. So, and there was absolutely no empathy. Like he felt nothing the entire time, except for being the, cognizant of the, how messed up he was. <laughs> the fact, yeah, the fact that the killings happen so fast is what fascinates me because what he would do post post mortem is insane, but the fact that he just wanted. The body. He just wanted – and the thing about it, though, is – That just means he didn't want to deal with any aspect of interaction with exactly. victims before. But and you also got to Because there's some people who I would assume get off on seeing the reaction of being tortured and that sort of interaction. And we'll And there's others people, who are just like, yeah. no, I just want dead flesh to mess with as yeah. opposed to seeing a human reaction. And that's just different – calibers of mm -hmm. being messed up so now next episode is also going to be slightly educational what we're going to cover on the next episode these are all educational uh, well, yeah. <laughs> what we're going to cover on the next episode uh ray this is the research guy guys <laughs> so ray biondi is uh so not the next episode but the next the next bit we're going to cover yeah ray yeah. biondi is because these are all beast. two two-parters yeah so yeah. the second part uh ray biondi is a beast he's actually the one that catches richard chase and the act the funniest part of the entire story is the actual capture, but I'm going to save that. It's fucking hilarious. Mm -hmm. um, now, next episode, we're going to cover how it is certain branches of law enforcement were getting their funding in those days. And mm -hmm. even to this day, FBI and local cops, stuff like that, they don't exactly interact. They don't actually uh, – there's, there's a lot of information and evidence withheld because they want the caller, which is the arrest. They, that's how they get their funding, by, oh, yeah. by, by arrest rates. I always think of South Park, uh, South Park where he's like, this investigation's under our jurisdiction now, but that's not fair. <laughs> and they start fighting over it. And, so yeah. you've seen, have you seen the, the documentary on Netflix, Evil Genius? I've seen some of that, okay. I want to say. So Shout out to my, my homeboy, Lou. He's really into true crime, just like you, man. He puts that stuff on at work at the hotel, and people are just like, what are you watching? And then there's some who sit down at the bar, and they're just like, ooh. <laughs> so for those of you who have actually watched the Evil Genius Netflix special, and if you haven't, watch it this week. So when you hear the next podcast, you'll be like, oh, I know exactly what he's talking about. Um, they could have solved that crime prior to any of the evidence being missing, prior to any of the people dying off, like a whole bunch of stuff, because – the FBI and the local police wouldn't work together, wouldn't, work wouldn't together. talk, yeah. and withheld information. Yeah. It just never got solved. It's, it's like a rivalry aspect. It's like yeah. a big, big brother situation of sorts, and so which is stupid if you ask me. But I, it I mean, really it is. makes sense from a monetary standpoint and from an ego standpoint too. So. Yeah, I mean, I mean, even even law enforcement within our government, you know, the CIA and the FBI, they withhold information from each from other. From each other, it's, yeah, it's, and it's they're insane. they're just different branches. They're they're considered more on a respective level, if I'm not mistaken. But yeah. I can't say that I know exactly what the you know Federal Bureau of Investigation handles in comparison with the Central Intelligence and uh, Central Intelligence. So the, but the interesting part about Ray Biondi, and we'll cover this next uh, next episode for sure, is that uh, 
he actually got his profiling experience from the FBI, but he was never a member of the FBI. So it's actually really cool how it happens. But we'll we'll get into that. He's just a really good detective. You really evaded my interest, and he's, hopefully, he's a beast. Uh, yeah, yeah. But he gets screwed over in the end. We'll cover that later. But anyway, uh, thank you guys for stomaching through it with us. Like sure. I said, this wasn't. Uh, this wasn't supposed to be torture porn. This was just supposed to be informative. You can't. I switched from beer to coffee, dude, because I was just like, <laughs> I don't like, feel like this is uh, unsettling me. Just I don't think you bits. can know. I don't think you can know the level of of his his diagnosis and his psychosis without knowing the degree of gruesome that he went to. I think mm-hmm. that that was for information wise, for for education wise. I think that you had to know what he was willing to go do. I can concur with that. I think the importance of the arrest escalates when you see the atrocity of the crimes right. and stuff. Exactly. So. No. Now, once again, this is one that I did not click on photos for. <laughs> I, yuck, dude! I couldn't. I couldn't, st- I couldn't stomach I was, that. I was just telling Fuego actually that I, I, you know, when I was reading the the final four murders, um, I asked you on the phone. I was like, "Wait, there's photos?" And you're like, "Oh yeah, it's not like I looked at any of them." Right? Yeah, <laughs> you, I actually you have... probably looked at one, and we're just like, "Okay, nope, nope, nope." Yeah, nope. that's exactly what happened. Actually, just wanted to get a picture of his face, and then you you do that thing where like you scroll down, like, "Oh shit!" and then you get off. Yeah. yeah. So anyway. Thank this isn't you guys. Where I parked my car. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you guys so much for hanging out. And if you if you actually went the full thing with us and you took it to eleven with us and you were hanging out, let us know and we will find a way to reward you. Whether it's uh, following you on Instagram or or giving you a like on Facebook, you know, you, Twitter's, you, whatever. That's right. You interact with us. We'll interact with you. We're mm-hmm. we're very we're very fun loving open guys. So yeah. And if you uh, are interested in us turning it to eleven in a different fashion, we are in a band called Chiron. C H I R O N. You can find us at uh, ReverbNation.com/slash/ChironBandAZ. We have two of our upcoming studio tracks, and then we also have a old demo, Evil and You. You heard that at the beginning, and we'll hear it here at the end of the broadcast. So. Yeah, and if you'd actually like to hear, you know, full songs, let us know. We'll be more than happy to uh, to uh, to play it at the end, at the end of every episode. That way, you guys can still get your episode in. You're not having to listen to us. Give us some feedback. We appreciate it. Um, again, thank you for the numbers climbing. You guys have been amazing. We've been watching the uh, the metrics, and you guys are you guys are coming in in troves, and it's it's amazing to see that this thing is is growing, and people are actually getting curious and. And uh, eventually we'll find a name for you guys. Right now I'm thinking about profilers, but that's uh, uh, that's very There's lots of ladies one-sided. I know exactly. who are into this sort of sick yeah. shizzle. So, so <laughs> I don't want to I don't want to type anybody just yet. So co-profilers at the moment, I guess we'll hmm. we'll go with, or uh, we'll figure something out. We'll figure something out. But yeah, um, yeah. thank you guys very much again. The uh, the email if you guys have any case we're, we're going to be in the 70s for a while. So if you guys have any cool cases that aren't really well known in the 70s that you want to hit us up with. Uh, our, our email is sentartainment at gmail.com. Um, we'll check that for sure. If you guys have something you want to hear us portray, we'll do it to the best of our ability. Um, outside of that, facebook.com forward slash Chiron Band AZ. I am Omega Twiz 5150 on, uh, on Instagram. Fuego. Uh, you can find me on all social media sectors, just Jaime and Fuego. Uh, it's spelled kind of like Jamie, but J A I M E E N F U E G O. That spells Jaime and Fuego. Yeah, so. Uh, Without further ado, you beautiful bastards, thank you guys for hanging out. And uh, you've been amazing, and this has been Profiling Pain. So we'll catch you on the next one. Peace out, yo. (laughs) 